Listen, Mark, if a three-hour podcast is good enough for Gruber and Snell, it's good enough for me, okay? Donald, dude. <laughs> oh, wow, well, that's the intro I've ever done. Then just play the music. Crikey. <laughs> You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. It's also another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast where I'm not at home and I'm relying on 4G and my AirPods to try and get us through a show. But thankfully, this week, I'm not alone because I've got with me someone who I don't mind admitting I could be classed as stalking, but I waited three years for a response after leaving a message Getting an email saying, I'll get back to you on that in a very middle management styly. Finally, we have what I would call one of the biggest female superstars of the podcasting <laughs> Apple circuit. None other than Kelly Gibbons. Okay, if you're really quiet, and I know that that makes for fascinating podcasting, you can totally hear me blushing right now. <laughs> really quiet. Do you think we'll have a choice when you're on a podcast? Because like, as I was just saying before we started, it's brilliant listening to you because anyone who has to edit a podcast knows that you hate gaps and you hate having to string things together. But I can imagine with you, it's just going to be a constant wall of waveform goodness. It's like asking you a question. Right. That's 15 minutes of content down. Uh, what do we do next? <laughs> Basically, yeah. I, it's especially if you pick something i'm really excited to talk about that actually helps i, the, I don't think there's many things that you wouldn't be about. oh look squirrels <laughs> no i i tend to do that but that's just because i i have faulty wiring in my brain that that gives me a complete lack of that oh my god did you just see okay now i'm kidding i um, oh, no, it, sometimes <laughs> it's hard to rein in the awesomeness it's like people just don't understand where we're coming from <laughs> but i especially when see here's the thing that i really like apple stuff i like apple hardware i like the potential of the products that apple puts out i like home automation stuff i like star wars and doctor who and so like the great thing about the internet for me is that I can find other people who are just as excited who come from a completely different generation or physical location or um, way into that particular field. And so I can share that with anybody. Like I used to watch Doctor Who. Like I got into Doctor Who because they used to show it on the public broadcasting station where I lived. And public broadcasting was like the only station that came in clearly where I lived. Everything else was a little bit fuzzy. So I watched a lot of PBS as a kid and every Sunday afternoon they would show Doctor Who. So that's how I got into Doctor Who. Like I didn't have a choice. It was literally the only thing on TV and because we only got four channels. And like I said, the other three sucked. So how many years ago was this? Uh, more years ago than I like to admit on the Internet. And <laughs> <laughs> but I also grew up in the wilderness. Like I grew up in a town with no traffic lights. The road I lived on wasn't paved. There were not there were less than 70 people in the class that graduated high school when I graduated high school, it was a tiny little place. So 
I have an appreciation for the internet and the fact that the internet has made it so that I can find other people who read that book or loved that comic or really enjoy that movie or, you know, use the same computer as me or use other apps on their phone. And that was how I got into all of this was sort of it eliminated a lot of no Kelly, just you, because I got a lot of that as a kid because I loved comic books and Star Wars and Doctor Who and computers and and yep. all of that. And it was, and, you know, and I'm left handed and no Kelly, just you. And the internet took that away from me. And it's one of, it's a thing I was really, really happy to shed. So I can make a joke from a movie that came out in 1988 that like nobody saw in the theater and somebody on Twitter will come back with the appropriate response to whatever it was that I just put out there. And I love that. That's some of the best threads on Reddit when someone makes a movie comment and then all of a sudden you just see this threaded reply of lines through the movie. And it yes. always, always makes me chuckle. But the way you sounding like you live, it sounds like you live next door to Ron Swanson. No, I uh, in. So technically, I had neighbors when I was growing up in that I lived on a piece of property and there were people who owned the property on the other side of the property line. But everybody lived on acreage, so I didn't really necessarily see those neighbors all the time because we I lived on five acres myself. And oh, I know how utterly horrid for you that that small five acres. Poor, how did you survive? <laughs> we had a four wheeler. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> we had a four wheeler. I had a dirt bike. It was great. So. You know, but like I didn't. So technically, like if you think about when you think about like a neighbor being like at the house next to you, like it wasn't the houses weren't next to the property line or anything. So my neighbors were all like cows because people had cows. And so like that was really all I saw on the other side of the fence from our house. Like it was just it was on the one side. It was cows. On the other side, it was cows. On the other side of that house, it was llamas. So. Like when I tell people I grew up in the wilderness, like I'm not kidding. I grew up in the wilderness. It sounds very much like where I used to live in a place called Lincolnshire, which basically you look out and it's just you could literally see to the curvature of the earth, which is about three miles, and mm -hmm. you'd see nothing or no one. Mm -hmm. Just a black field of lettuces. Oh yeah, lettuce and onions. Oh Jesus, the traffic. Yep. Blimey, there's childhood I... memories that I want to <laughs> repress. Um so yeah, what I don't know where to go from that because that's one hell of an intro. It's like we've kind of <laughs> we've kind of like sat here, it's like in the chair with Kelly Gilmont. So, tell us about your first memories as a child. Did your parents <laughs> love you? It's like psychology one oh one. Oh dear. Oh dear. So yeah, that's one hell of an intro. Crikey, where do we go from here? And also, <laughs> as you can hear, joining us is the resident stalwart of the Essential Apple Podcast, Simon. Yeah, Tom, yes. Matt, how's your week been? Ah, uh, my week's been okay, Mark. I, I went back to work, so I was quite busy catching up. But uh, also, I had the joy that my iOS beta sorted itself out. Public beta six arrived. Pushed Hurrah! the stuck yes, pushed the stuck five out of the way and installed properly. So now I'm back on track. And because uh, six followed so quickly after five, I only actually had to wait about a week and a half. So that wasn't so, too bad, really. You know, I have a rule about this, right? About what? installing betas. I came up with it many years ago, and I always referred to it as the Star Trek film rule of beta. <laughs> and that is, skip all the odd numbered ones. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. 
probably works actually. And it, I don't know what happened. Uh, I explained last week. I, I the public beta five showed up, started to install, and then it just got stuck on preparing, preparing update, downloading, and it stayed like that for a week or more until public beta six well, pushed it out of the way. So there we go. So two things about that. Um, first of all. Uh, sometimes I've had regular updates, not beta updates, but regular updates that choke like that. And you can go to storage, like under manage storage, you'll see the update sitting there and you can nuke it and force it to, you can kick it out and then it will force it to download again. And sometimes it gets stuck in the download process and you can fix that. So if other people are having that problem or have that problem when they go to 11, when it's final for people who aren't installing betas, sometimes that can help you. That is a helpful hint. Very much so. Because I did the whole, you know, reboot the phone, wipe the phone, back the phone up and reinstall it, everything. All of which was a lot of grief and did me no good whatsoever. So that's a handy hint. A lot of grief. So Kelly comes on and trashes the show now because he's actually providing some useful information to our listeners. Thanks for that. That's something that we're never going to recover from. That's something that we're never going to recover from being actually helpful. <laughs> it's not something I can help. I just that's what I do. I'm I I help people with their stuff. Like for my for my family, I was always tech support even before everybody got iPhones and stuff. I was always the person that people called about. This is what it's doing or I got a new cordless phone, you know, for the landline yeah. and I can't figure out how to get the speed dial numbers into it. Like that was always my job. Always. How do I <laughs> how do I set the timer on the VCR? Yeah, the VCR all that stuff. 12 Kelly. Yeah, yeah. that was me. Yeah. All that, all so, that, yeah. Been there, yeah. done so, that. Are you rocking all the latest uh, the iOS betas then on your iPhone, Kelly? Good heavens now. Um <laughs> I have I have the public beta of 11 on my iPad because yep. it's not because that's I don't have a backup iPhone is is the deal. Um, if I had another phone that I could put it on and fool around with, I absolutely would. But um, this last upgrade cycle, my previous phone ended up going to my mother-in-law because she was going to get aged out. And so now she has uh, so now she has my old phone so that she can have Siri. She didn't have Siri on her on her previous phone. So she ended up getting mine. So if I still had, if I still had my 5S kicking around, uh, I would absolutely have put the iOS 11 beta on it and been very excited about seeing all of the stuff that it could do on the phone. But overall, from what I've seen on the iPad, that's where the magic happens in iOS 11. And yep. maybe that's because I don't have a plus, but no, it's very it seems much... like a lot of iOS 11 is iPad OS 11 and not iPhone. Yeah, that, that is a very much an iPad-centric release. I mean, there's some good stuff. You know, there's some good stuff on the phone, but they really concentrated very much on doing something that Mark will tell you I would bang in on for a good year about saying that iPad is being underutilized and it needs features such as they have now put in to 11 that will make use of its of its capabilities of its screen estate of its power um and so about time they did it really it's definitely ios 11 has definitely made me appreciate ios on a whole new level because i've been using my surface tablet at work and it was in tablet mode and I was just trying to copy and move files and windows just suffers from the fact it's windows where they've tried to force the finger onto it. Have you, have you used windows 10 on a tablet or anything, Kelly? 
I've used it on a laptop, a touchscreen laptop, and I find it unbelievably frustrating. Oh, thank God. It's not only me because you just can't seem to tap just right. And you've got it. You saw it with the iPad, you know, you can basically hammer your fingers at the glass and you're pretty much going to hit what you want to hit. Yeah, with Windows 10, it's like I push my finger into it and I'm going slower and slower and then I start shaking a little bit and, oh, look at that, I've selected one file again. Yeah, and like for me, the, the problem that I have with with the, the latest iteration of Windows is probably me. Like, I'm free, I'm openly going to admit that. If you are going to buckle a keyboard to a screen and make it look like what I have always known to be a full-on computer... I interact with that screen using the keyboard and using the mouse or the trackpad, yeah. you know, whatever you prefer. I won't judge you. And that's how I interact with that screen. I don't touch it. I don't swipe it around. I don't zoom it in and out on the screen. If I can do that, I do it on the trackpad. I do it with the keyboard. I Apple tab to the other thing. You know, I use a lot of keyboard commands because I've been on computers for a really long time. And for a long time, it was way more efficient to do it that way. So I've picked up a bunch of them that I just use constantly. So making me take my hands off the keyboard, forcing me to take my hands off the keyboard in order to interact with something on the screen with my hands, like alarm bells go off in my brain. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. You know, <laughs> and, I, and yeah. I really have a hard time with it. And I'm it's probably because I am just unbelievably hardwired in this way, because I sat down in front of a computer when I was a second grader. And that's how computers work and so everything in my brain when i reach out to tap on my laptop screen says no 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 and yeah. i can't ever get rid of that and i also don't like that they don't recognize that a mouse and a keyboard is a valid way to interact with a computer in windows 10 and so i find it very frustrating that there is only stuff that you can do with the touch screen and that's super aggravating to me because it's it's like not what it reminds me of to make it an apple metaphor what it reminds me of is that first generation rocker phone that apple made with motorola yep. that little beige slab yeah. of terrible ui because i'll tell you what it wasn't that great a phone in the first place and it wasn't that great a music player in the second place and the whole point of it was it was the itunes phone and it was supposed to do all of the stuff that your phone could do and all of the stuff that your mp3 player could do and but in one device and they didn't do a good job of either of those things so if they could have given me an awesome mp3 player that happened to make phone calls or an awesome phone that happened to play music i probably would have been able to make the concession on the side that was deficient but that's not what they did no they ended up with the ended up with the worst of both worlds wasn't it it was yeah, like it was a it was a half-assed phone and it was a half-assed music player and like i already have a half-assed phone and a half-assed music player i don't need a new cell phone contract to get all of them at once like that's dumb and so i never touched it and that was why and i hope i don't end up causing you a bunch of editing grief for saying half no I, I, I think you've nailed it i think your analogy there was absolutely nailed it it's uh, i it struggle with good. it and even with the pen, so you think, right, okay, so, I mean, one of the, one of the things, I, I love doing um, handwriting to text. Uh -huh. I, know it, I know it sounds really inefficient, but sometimes it's just good to slow down, write things with a pen and paper or on the screen, but they, they haven't even got that right, because it's, it's really laggy. 
I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but once you've used even an iPad Air 1, I would say in some apps is faster than the latest, you know, than the Surface Pro 4 that I'm running. Mm. And you're just going, it's just so disjoining it. Uh, just, yeah, just so disjoining that you're writing and you just see that the, the ink catch up with the pen. And mm-hmm. what makes it even worse is that you go ahead and you look at all the reviews for like Surface Pro 4 review and almost every single one that I've seen just felt like it was a rewrite of the press release because you you could tell that they hadn't really used it and I'm six months into using it and I go back and read all these reviews saying it's a revolutionary new device it's the iPad killer and to quote the Gimont Apple is doomed (laughs) doomed (laughs) doomed we're all doomed yes yeah, Apple doomed. are doomed unless they have a stylus. No, they're not. They just oh. wait to have the thing that they want to have on their device. <laughs> so, and you know, the thing, the thing about it is that I want Microsoft to put out great stuff. I want Microsoft to put out something interesting and cool and functional that people like using not yeah you know, i've never heard i i don't remember ever hearing people talk about liking windows i hear them talk about having to use windows yeah and it seems like it's getting better i mean certainly 10 is much better than 8 was because oh well that's that, that's like saying oh vista that wasn't too bad blimey just guide your eyes out then it wasn't so bad that's <laughs> well, like saying oh i came off my bike and you broke my leg well yeah <laughs> To compete because basically Definitely. Apple was outclassing Microsoft left, right, and center for a long time. And now Microsoft is doing some stuff that's really interesting, like uh, the new giant machine that I'm not going to be able to think of, but it's the iMac you can scribble on. Yeah, the uh, studio. Surf, it's a Surface studio. studio. And yeah. I when, when that came out, I was really struck with that, along with a lot of other people saying, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is brilliant. But yeah. again, unfortunately, they went and let themselves down because it turned out after the, after the release that instead of putting a top-end machine in that box at the bottom, they stuck the equivalent of a Mac Mini in there. So the thing's gutless and underpowered. And, no, it's... Oh. Yeah, see... Fabulous concept, and then they went and blew it by underpowering the actual hardware. So I, re- I saw that, and I went, "Wow!" Like if I was Apple, whatever I've got planned for the next twelve to eighteen months has had ha- must go right out the window because yeah. I need to be competing here. But and reports... apparently, that's not the case. <laughs> well, it's another classic Microsoft thing, you know, misstep of great concept, badly, badly executed. People, I've listened to or read who've actually tried it have said it's it's gutless it, it's laggy it's unresponsive it's it's not it's not what it promised it's funny you should say that just coming back to my the thing about the pencil is that it is really laggy and i've been watching some of the adverts and this is where the whole thing about marketing comes into play that all these quick jump shots where you see these artists huddled over their screen or their surface, you mm-hmm. don't actually see them doing much. Because if you did, 
there is no way you could work on half of those apps and half of those images without seeing a ginormous amount of lag. <laughs> yeah, and that's disappointing because I really wanted it to yeah. be cool and interesting. You do, and don't you? You want it to be that good. And validated by the market that this is the thing that people want to do. I want that giant gorgeous screen to be my Wacom tablet because I'm I'm just assuming that's where that's going to go. I'm not that person. I don't have that kind of artistic ability. It's a thing that I really wish that I could do that I cannot do. So I'm always super impressed by anyone who can. And when I look at that, I like I, that's all I see is artists freaking out over how amazing it would be to have that much space because the best you can do otherwise is uh, one of the models of Wacom, which I think only comes in at like a 17-inch model. So having all that extra space to work in would be stupendous. That's like all artists really want is acreage. If you really want that sort of on-screen thing, you have to look at a Cintiq. The trouble with a Cintiq screen that goes on the front of your iMac is it'll That's probably what it cost is. you... That will cost you as much as the Mac you put it on. Yeah, you can have a Cintiq or you can have a car. Like, that's, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I yeah. mean, they do not come cheap, but they are unbelievable. Yeah, yeah it's an amazing thing to see. And and behold, I, I did corporate IT for a while, and I, I installed a few of those for people. And they were great to see in action and all of that. But that's why I'm disappointed is because I was really hoping that, like, this would be a thing, and then maybe Apple would see people really like that people really want that out of their computer and maybe make that and i actually kicked around when the when the surface studio came out i really thought maybe just maybe there yeah. will be like an imac pro or an imac studio or an imac you know something with some sort of name on the end that does that same sort of you can tilt it towards you and you take your apple pencil and you just go to town because like yeah. if anybody's going to be able to get that right it's the company that's been making touchscreens people have interacted with for many years i don't know if you've seen it kelly but there there's a, a patent from several years ago that shows a fold down imac with that mm -hmm. kind of concept but obviously yeah. apple never took it anywhere they just obviously didn't think there was a big enough market and i guess they're they're um reply or their vision for, for that kind of thing is the the ipad pro right you know your 13 inch with a pencil have you tried the latest greatest ipad pro the 10.9 with the pencil no. no, i have such a crush on that ipad <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I i recently got to use the last generation 10 point something ipad and using it and then uh, watching netflix on it and hearing those speakers was like, yeah, I want this. I mean, I really, really, really want this. But then I got a little bit burnt because it had the, the smart keyboard on it. Mm -hmm. And for the show notes, we use Quip, which is all right. But let's use a spreadsheet. And it doesn't support the arrow keys. Ah. So going back to what you said earlier on about using a Windows laptop, I, I literally had to do the whole thing of type in a cell, press return, go up, touch the screen, swipe around, uh. type in that. It's like, why? It's maybe the, maybe they've got analytics on to say, you know, this keyboard isn't really used that much, but I just couldn't believe it. And that would be super frustrating. Now, numbers, I actually quite like. It's... Mm -hmm. It's different enough. There is there's still a steep learning curve if you've been an Excel user, but the yeah. fact you could use the cursor keys, but then you haven't got the uh, the chatting facility mm -hmm. because when you can work on a spreadsheet and you can have a conversation, my God, how boring is my life sounds when you can work <laughs> on a spreadsheet 
and interact with people. God, where has my life gone wrong? Well, so here's the other thing about that, though, is that um, I, so a while ago, uh, I am not going to be able to remember how many years ago it was. But for Christmas, we traded in Mr. Kelly's iPad for a new one. And it was the Air 2 was the iPad Air gener- second generation was was the most recent release. And so we did that. And so for Christmas, that was what he got. And it was cool. And I really liked it. And one day he came to me and said, I want to be able to take my iPad into a meeting and handwrite my notes on it and then have those notes later. How can I do that? And I said, well, start here. I've seen your handwriting and it's atrocious. <laughs> so is no machine is going to ever be able to figure out what you wrote. I've seen you not be able to figure out what you write. So, and he's, ha ha, now tell me the answer to my question. Okay, first of all, you need a stylus. I have a nice stylus here. Let me, why don't you try this and see how it feels to write on the screen? So he did. And it was a little bit laggy. Like it it had nothing to do with the app he was using or the stylus he had or anything like that. It was just at the time, that was all the processor could do. It was a little bit behind. It was like how sometimes if you are on a phone call with somebody and you can hear your voice on the other end, like they have a, a crappy speakerphone or something. Yep. And you can hear your voice like half a second behind and it's just enough to really distract you and keep you from being able to finish your sentence because you keep hearing yourself from a second ago. It's that. And so it was kind of hard to watch. It was kind of hard to interact with. And so he was he was trying it and said, I don't think this will work. And I, well, what about this? And I, you know, I tried a few different apps. I tried a couple different styluses to see what the to see if there was a place where I could overcome that hurdle. Like maybe it's that the app is doing too much processing and you just want it to lay down the lines or whatever. So never found a good solution. And then for App Camp this year, we got some of the brand new 10.9 inch iPad Pros and, a, and some Apple Pencils. And I, um, there's a whole story to go into with this later, but I've started being the person who does the uh, management on those, the the like MDM and, oh, and Mac I've admin got, and stuff. I've so, got stories about that as well. So I jumped in to start doing that because we have enough stuff to track now that we should be tracking it. So I had them at my house and I tried it out because I knew that this was a thing that he wanted to be able to do. And I think what he wants to be able to do when it's all said and done is like have it in one note because his office is all windows. And so this would give him the, the opportunity to be able to write and pay attention, but have all of that preserved on his laptop waiting for him later, but not having to haul his laptop into a meeting and sit behind yeah. the screen. So. I had them and I took the pencil and I was like, hey, I wonder, because one of the huge things that a lot of people talked about after the event was how the lag being so much less was just stupendous. And all of those people were absolutely right. It was literally like writing on a piece of paper, which is still a thing I do a lot. And the reason for that is because I don't always remember what I type. I type over 100 words a minute. I type all day long. I don't always yep. remember moving my fingers in that particular sequence to type a thing, if I, especially if I'm going to need it later. So when I write it down, I actually remember it better. And then I found out later, 
that there's science behind that. Like the physical act of writing something. Oh yeah. Keep it in your brain. So like the pro tip they give everybody now in school is if you're trying to study, you know, don't type those notes, write those notes, write everything down because writing it, the act of writing it will help etch it in your brain better. Yeah. So I write stuff down constantly. And if we want to get into a whole pen pencil conversation, I'm here for that. So I tried writing and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work for me. I'm left-handed. It's going to think my, it's not the palm rejection won't work because my palm, my, my hand is on the wrong side, you know, whatever. So I started scribbling on it and it just worked. And it was absolutely like writing on a piece of paper. So Mr. Kelly gets home and I go, hey, remember how we tried to do that thing where you could take your iPad to a meeting and write? And he goes, yeah. And I said, try this. And he tried it and he said, why are you doing this? And I said, I wanted you to see that the technology that you wanted is finally here. And he said, no, that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to get me to spend $700. And I'm like, well, <laughs> actually, I guess I'm trying to get you to spend $1,400 because I know you don't. I, I know you're not to. talking about. Yeah, I'm like, everybody gets one. This is, a, this is a big deal. I want this iPad. Like, I was happy with my Air and I was totally happy with my Air. And he got a second generation Air and I'm like this is nice. Touch ID is cool, which I don't have on my iPad. I'm like, touch ID is cool. And then that's not like, that's not what happened. And I'm like, like I, I wasn't having a, a deep inner need for an iPad until we got these this summer. And now I'm like, maybe my iPad is kind of old and clunky. Maybe my iPad needs to be replaced. Maybe my iPad needs to, maybe my iPad needs to be upgraded because mine's the oldest and maybe I need a new one. And, and I never had thoughts like that until I got to play with one of these, even without the pencil, just the interaction with it. And even like the home button, all of that, it's, it's amazing. And so, yeah, it was a huge thing. So I have a super duper crush on that. And, and I really enjoyed getting to work with them. We got an app, um, specifically the iPads, we use them during app camp to generate artwork. Uh, so we basically were using them as drawing pads for the most part. And we got this app called Linnea, L-I-N-E-A from Icon Factory. And it's amazing. And it it has all the pressure sensitivity and like seeing the artwork that came out of giving people a known interaction mechanism. Like here's a pencil and a screen and having it work exactly like a the pencil and a, a pencil and a drawing pad would work was amazing that's yeah that's right so I'm, i've always struggled with productivity on the ipad because it's it's the little things like and i know people will be bored about this story but you can sell things on ebay yes you can write the description on ebay yes but when you want to print an invoice you can't you have to drop mm-hmm. out of the app go to the ebay website reload its desktop go into the next link reload that page's desktop and then you can print it um things like dealing with images if you want to resize an image within an app it's a nightmare um pixel mm-hmm. meter falls uh, falls foul to this because if you grab a picture and you get like the little grab handles it never tells you the size of what you're going to be resizing the image to so you might have a canvas that you want to make smaller, but you can't. And then you've got to go for a load of convoluted hoops. Anyway, so um, I gave my friend a copy of Pixelmator and I said, you're a really good artist. Can you draw something on this iPad? And he went away. And then two days later, he came back with a nice retro 60s style poster you know, very simplistic, but that's his style of art. So his style of art is in the simplicity of being able to show something complex and just reduce it down. And he said, I hate it. I really can't stand it. 
I don't like the mechanism. I don't like the fact that you're on glass. Spin forward a few weeks later, he's done four more images and he's going, I love this. I really love it. (laughs) It's, It's freed me up from... I know that I can make a mistake and go back. I know that and he was getting into this point where he'd be zooming so far into the image because he could. And I had mm-hmm. such minutia to the image that when he zoomed out, it's like, oh, you can barely see it, but I know it's there. And he's a complete and a convert. Uh, he's actually said he won't go back to painting in traditional methods unless he's specifically asked you by any of his clients. I want him to do commissions. And that's a... And that bit I love for someone to go, oh, you know what? It's just a pen on a bit of glass. You're right, it is. But it's like what you said. You know, once you get used to that change and you don't have the lag and suddenly mm-hmm. all these traditional methods of painting and interaction go out the window because, and I'm glad to say this, it just works. Yeah, and like that's the thing that I think sometimes gets missed in some product reviews for all kinds of things, which is, you know, I don't need your review to be exciting. I'm not looking for th- for a review of, say, a Philips Hue light bulb to take me on an emotional journey. That's yeah. not what I want. I want a review to tell me I this review is very boring. Every time I tried it, it worked. When I did it from my phone, when I did it from my Echo Base, when I did it from my whatever. Uh, every time I turned it on, it turned on. And every time I turned it off, it turned off. And when I told it to be blue, it was blue. And when I told it to be green, it was green. Every single time. That's all I want out of a review. And like, I think sometimes that gets lost in technology. Like, tell me about the new part and tell me how it's awesome. But tell me that it straight up come out with it. Tell me that it works. Well, you know why you know why that works. is? That that's Google's fault, is that? Because <laughs> No, seriously, it is because you look at the amount of reviews, you go and read something, you get like any article that mentions Steve Jobs will be Steve Jobs, born in Palo Alto, Steve mm. Wozniak, blah blah for the first 500 words and then you get to the story because of this whole Google thing, like you won't get page ranked. Unless you have sufficient body and content. Um, There's a guy on YouTube who was a bit of a personal hero of mine called Sean Kennedy, I think was his name. And he did a YouTube series called Patrolling. And he's a bit of a sort of like self-survivalist. Here's how you start a fire in the woods, home hacks, all that sort of stuff. And he used to go to, he says, whenever you're looking at something, whenever you want to buy something, ask yourself two questions. What does it do? How well does it do it? Mm-hmm. And that's all anyone ever needs to say about a product for me. Here's a light bulb. What does it do? It works with your iPhone. How well does it do it? Bloody good. Right? Take my money. Yeah. And like, I understand that people like if there's new features and all that kind of stuff, but like I tell people straight up my review of that, you know, that thing I bought for my house so that I can run some part of my house with my phone. It works. It works all the time. Every time I use it, it does the thing I told it to do. Every I bought the little thing that I put on top of my Roomba so that I can run my Roomba from my phone. DJ Roomba. Because this is the world I live in. And um, <laughs> I'm going to learn enough electronic engineering so that I can put the little red LED light back and forth across it. So oh, that I can like, have night, a like a Cylon or Night Rider. Yes. Yes, my my goal is to have the Cylon Roomba. And um, but the reason like I had a very specific problem to solve with this, and that was um, I have some very like the base of some furniture uh, where the Roomba runs 
And every once in a while, the Roomba will decide like, today's the day I can clear that. And it's always wrong. And so sometimes it gets stuck and it would get stuck. And I'm like not home or I'm upstairs and I don't hear, I'm in, you know, I'm somewhere else and I don't hear the Roomba. So it would get stuck and it would stay there and then it wouldn't finish. And so then like half the floor is vacuumed and that sucks. So I got this little thing and I put it on top and now my Roomba has Wi-Fi. And so my room, I can tell my Roomba from my phone, hey, go clean. And then <laughs> if it gets stuck, I get a notification that says, hey, I'm stuck. And then if I'm home, I can fix it. And then the Roomba can go back to whatever it was doing. I, at this point, I awesome. feel compelled to say that is awesome. But also, have you considered going outside? <laughs> <laughs> I go outside all the time. That's why I need to run the Roomba when I'm not home. That's, oh, touche. Touche. So, if I if I had to do the hoovering, I couldn't be outside. So now I've over-engineered my life hack solution. <laughs> well, and I've made it very enjoyable to be outside at my house. Um, and so as everybody knows, there's home automation stuff and Internet of Things stuff you can get for your house, right? And one of the things that you can get that I discovered because I was somewhere and I came home and Mr. Kelly was installing them are uh, landscape lights, like little lights you put outside along a path or around the ra- yeah. around the yard or whatever that are and and one of them is a Bluetooth speaker. So you can have your lights on and you can hook your phone to the lights and play music. This has shenanigans written all over it. <gasps> it so doesn't. It's so awesome. It is it is so firmly in the ridiculous camp and I am the first person to admit that this is a ridiculous thing. And I love it a lot. You could it just pre-record Get Off My Lawn. <laughs> See, if you really want to get it clever, you do If This Then That. If Kids On My Lawn Play Get Off My Lawn. <laughs> when the motion sensor on the other set of lights goes on, then yes, that's what should happen. It should play Get Off My Lawn <laughs> out of the Bluetooth speakers. That would be amazing. Uh, well, it's the pity. backyard. I have them in the backyard. So um, there's sh- the only kids in the backyard should be there by explicit invitation. If there are kids in the backyard, I have bigger problems. But... <laughs> <laughs> but like all of the landscape lighting because we put a bunch in and all of the landscape lighting comes on at dark because I have this automation set up and it's a thing that just works and it always works because I didn't set it for like six o'clock which is dumb in the summertime because the sun doesn't set until 9 30 or whatever and so like it, it my the the home automation brain that I have no goes online and has the weather and the sunrise and the sunset. So it knows yep. when to turn things on and off, which is amazing. And I have one of the hue bulbs. We have some hue bulbs too. And I have one of the hue bulbs set to geofencing so that when I come home, because I come in through the garage into the house. And when I come home, th- if it's dark when I get here, that light bulb turns on. So when I walk into the house, the house is never dark. And yep. that is like I've... the smallest, boringest thing. And it's my favorite feature of the hue lights. Is yeah, but you see, geofencing but it, it, was a snap. Yeah, but that's the thing. I've, I've got the, um, the LIFX light bulb and you go, where do you live? Here. Do you want me to send the lights on when it gets dark? or wake up in the morning yes please and yeah. it's so nice because it's it's a very much a mental thing because you get home on a winter's day and it's raining and chucking it down and you're not going into like a dark empty house it's like oh the lights are on and i'm going yeah the lights are on and how smug am i i've done that over the internet and people mm-hmm. go you can press a light switch i'm going don't be so ridiculous yeah that's Jesus. Not- that's not how this works. Well, but also, like, the other thing about it is, for me, the light switch for that light is not next to the door where I come in. 
So I have to get partway into the room in order to turn on that light switch if I needed the switch. And now I don't have to. And now it's just on when I get home. And I don't have to leave it on all the time on the off chance I leave in the daytime and come home after dark. But here's a question. For, so you're with the Philips Hue now. That doesn't support HomeKit, does it? It does. It does? Yes, it does now. Um, initially, if you got the starter kits that had the round hub, the round hub does not support HomeKit. You had, and it was a hardware upgrade in order to support HomeKit. So you had to buy um, the square hub instead. So uh, yeah, it was a different little box I had to hang on my network, uh, which is a thing uh... I am super duper over. But it totally does work. The problem is I have not found a way to convince HomeKit that more than one person lives at my house. <laughs> so we don't use Oh, well, it. that's a long-term Apple problem, isn't it? There's yeah, multiple that, profiles like, on a machine. I know. Like, Tim Cook is standing up there talking about how great HomeKit is and look at all the stuff that you can do with HomeKit. And I'm like, you can only do that by yourself. I was yeah, so, like, up frustrated about it because like you can invite someone else to your house i'm like i'm not inviting the other person who lives at my house to my house that's dumb so i couldn't figure out a way around that so i use minimal home kitness um the bulk of what i use is is uh amazon echo units um because i'm trying not to set anybody's off <laughs> so yeah i usually refer to mine as echo base because i have an actual echo and then i have some a couple of dots in other parts of the house so um, I call it, so I always end up calling mine echo base so that I don't trip anybody's words. And uh, uh, I use that to control the lights when I want to control the lights. And the other nice thing about it is that um, I have a Logitech Harmony remote, the one that comes with the hub. And yep. you can hook that up to the echo base as well. And one of the things that you can do with an activity on the remote is adjust your Hue lights. Because one of the things Hue has done is basically decided they want to be compatible with everything. So to their credit, aside from the HomeKit one, which was a hardware upgrade, uh, they work with basically everything else. So if you want to have like a watch movie button on your Harmony remote, you can set it up so that it turns on the TV and flips the TV to the right input and turns on the receiver so that the big speakers are on and turns on the DVD player and has everything ready to go and dims the lights in the room that you're in to a certain, you know, I to can, like nightlight level or whatever. And you push I can one only button. imagine date night with you and Mr. Kelly and you walking in <laughs> instead of, Instead of you clapping hands going, you take away the mystery by pressing a button on the remote. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really convenient, uh, you know, because like we have a, a decent AV setup. And so making all of that work together is just more convenient. And you can tell your Echo Base to do stuff, you know, watch TV or watch a movie or whatever. And it will invoke that activity and adjust all the lights for you, which is pretty great. So... I like having the ability to chain all of that stuff together and the Philips Hue, um, like I said, working with everything, uh, most of what I do to control them is through the Echo because um, I'm either telling it to turn on and off certain lights or all the lights, which comes out to be pretty convenient. You know, like at night I can go upstairs and before I go to bed, I can tell her to turn off all the lights and she does. Do you reckon HomeKit suffered, though, because it was announced so long ago, and yet Google, I don't know if Google do anything like that, but Amazon have basically just come along and gone, you know what, we have this, we're out the door, we're at the gate. Do you think Apple suffered at all in the HomeKit territory because they sort of announced it, and then you had to have all these prerequisites? 
do you reckon there's a way back for them to sort of get a bit more market now especially what with uh what we talked about for ikea they're just mm-hmm. about to go and retrofit all their stuff do you reckon we're going to see like a renaissance for HomeKit on the you know with apple even though it didn't really sort of get anywhere to start with i really want there to be i'll tell you one thing mark that part of the problem there isn't it is that that Apple originally insisted on a hardware security on the HomeKit stuff. And a lot of manufacturers didn't want to pay out to have the secure chip that Apple wanted them to use. And Apple, in effect, have had to backtrack because now they're saying that they're going to have a software. uh... Only only halfway, though. Um, If I want to build something at my house for myself... If I want to take my Raspberry Pi, um, if I want to take the Raspberry Pi I currently have doing other stuff and I decide I want it to be a HomeKit thing to control something that maybe isn't HomeKitable otherwise, for example, um, I'm building it for myself. Uh, there's not going to be an app in the App Store. I'm not selling it to anybody. For myself, that requ- that restriction is lifted. Now, if I'm going to go start making whatever this is and selling it to people, then I have to have the hardware security. But just for like prototyping, proof of concept, my own personal use, that's what they lifted the requirement for. Because I was super excited about that to find out that that requirement went away, but it only sort of went away. <laughs> oh, but they made. I was under like... the impression that they were saying we're going to drop that so that people like IKEA can use a software. Um, no, they you know, did security it. validation. No, like this is a thing that I think was a smart move on their part because they did it for someone like me who might have something like I said I can't address currently through my Apple Assistant or um or like I have an Arduino that I want to do a thing with or I want to take my Raspberry Pi and have a thing or you know. Um, cause there's lots of stuff that you can hook to those. So they're doing stuff for makers. So if you have an Arduino temperature sensor that lives in the attic and you need to be able to find a way to take that Arduino temperature sensor and hook it to the house fan so that the house fan is running when the house fan needs to run because buying the one that had the temperature sensor built in to make it kick on automatically was way too much money. You can fix that. And now you can do that through your phone and tell Siri to to just turn that fan on and off for you or hook it up with ift and have it all like automated and stuff we can go as far down this automation rabbit hole as you want to go because i'm already so well, far down it. we we need to address <laughs> but we, we, we need to address the elephant in the room is like how do you control a kettle so i have not officially a kettle but i have a hot water boiler so it's this little thing that lives on my counter that uh, is a tank of water and it gets heated. I have a Zojirushi hot water heater, basically. And it will keep water at a certain temperature. And when you first turn it on, it will uh, boil the water for you. And I literally have it to drink tea. We drink loads of tea at my house. We can go down that rabbit hole, too. And Yeah, uh, yeah okay. Well, is it loose leaf? <laughs> is it banked? I mean, what are we on about here? Are we all about Earl Grey, Darjeeling? Oh, that's all right. Loose leaf, I mean, uh, double bergamot, Earl Grey, for the most part, is one of my favorites. Uh, I also have a your, green chai that I enjoy. Is a boiler getting up to the correct temperature of 100 degrees, or is it just sort of lukewarm boiling? Oh, no, it's 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 the proper 100C. And then it keeps <laughs> it at, I don't know what the, what the C equivalent is, so it keeps it at 195 Fahrenheit for herbal tea. Green tea wants that and like peppermint tea and stuff like that that I like to drink. So um, I have a whole cabinet above this little Zojirushi unit that is filled with tea. That's all that lives there. Um, um, when you stir the tea, are you stirring it clockwise or anticlockwise? <laughs> well, north, I'm, nor- I'm northern. I'm northern. 
here right now, so it's clockwise. And if I were in Australia, it would be counterclockwise because you have to do everything the opposite direction there. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> um, I told you, if you want to go there, I have a vacation home there. We'll, we'll do this. So what I did with my with my water boiler, because also, um, again, not the only person in my house. And Mr. Kelly likes to take tea in the morning on his drive to work in his little in his travel mug. So I have a Wemo switch that I bought that I plugged the water boiler into. So my little Zojirushi unit plugs into a Wemo switch, which plugs into the wall. And then the Wemo switch, just like the Hue bulbs, the Wemo switch has a certain amount of stuff built into it. So you can have rules for whatever. You can also address it with an Amazon unit, you know, my like my Echo Base, for example. Um, I have it set currently to turn on uh, early enough that however much water is in it will be at or near boiling just about the time that he's ready to go to work and needs to fill his travel mug. So then it's ready to go. And then a little um, while later, when I come downstairs, I also have hot water for whatever I want to drink. I just need to make my intention clear that if Mr. Kelly ever drops a ball, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! I wondered how long you could hold out before you let that one go. Well, you know, I, I hope you realised that you are the, the definition of what's called a keeper. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Well, you know, so, someone, someone you can make sure that a brew is ready first thing in the morning. You know, you get the you get the people that do well in life. Then you get the people who just land on their feet, don't you? <laughs> so, um. I have this little, uh, my the, this like I said, this Zojirushi water bowl. It's not a kettle. I've considered going to a kettle, but I really like this. Um, it's like this little dispenser, basically. Um, and it's got a little readout on top that tells me what the um, temperature is of the water inside so that I know, do I need to hit the boil button because I'm, I'm making black tea and it's not yet to the full hundred? Or is it already at the temperature I need for green tea or for white tea that I want to be brewing? White but white tea, tea just... Oh. It's a different... It's basically a different... Abomination. Process. No, it's not to me. And that's... Now, I don't drink a ton of it. I only have like a couple specific blends of white tea that I enjoy. Um, but it's, it's the way that it's processed. So you take the leaf... And then it gets dried and that's white tea. There's none of the like rolling or uh, what's the other thing they do with tea? The other Panning? thing they do is ferment it, isn't it? Um, there is sometimes there's there's fermenting that can happen. It depends on on what the tea is. It comes from the um, oh, I'm not going to remember it. Camellia. The same the same thing that that black and green tea come from. Right. Um, it comes from that same that that same plant. But white tea is a little bit different um in the manufacturing sometimes it can be yeah. fermented depending on what it's going but to it's, ultimately it's, end up it's being. just processed differently isn't it white tea i mean yeah got, they don't, uh, yeah it's uh, not you've got green tea oxidized. and white tea and and, and black right. tea and and then you've got no 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 i'm just calling shenanigans <laughs> so black tea is oxidized that's what makes it black and they don't do the it, and white tea doesn't go through the oxidation process. I'm still calling okay. shenanigans. Okay, <laughs> listen. That's fine. Listen, um, so I listen, like, Mark. Do you know? Do you know the story about PG Tips? 
Uh, I think I'm just about to find out along with the rest of the yes, listeners. We, I don't, and, and so every, I would love to hear it. On this Apple-based right, well, podcast, yeah. Let's talk about I know, well, there you go. Why we've not? gone down, we've, we've thrown the show notes out the window, so why the hell not? Oh, yeah, like all those copious notes you put together. We have Kelly on, and well, that was a waste <laughs> of time. <laughs> PG Tips is a well-known British brand of tea. And yes. it is sold and marketed on the idea that it contains only the tips of the tea leaf and that this is the best part of the tea leaf and contains the most flavoursome uh, parts of the leaf. Now, this is actually a brilliant piece of marketing because the guy who invented PG Tips ended up in India, basically he had almost no money and no idea what he was going to do. And what he found was when they were processing the dried tea, that the tips of the tea leaves tend to break off and go through the um, sieves that they used to grade the leaf and ended up on the floor. So he managed to either get for free or purchase this waste dust mm-hmm. of the tips of the tea. And he packaged it and sent it back to Britain and marketed it on the grounds that it contained only the finest tips of the tea leaf, not the boring actual leaf, just the finest tips. And out of pure marketing, he made himself a fortune on selling what previously was swept out of the door. <laughs> Did yeah. you know that? There you go. That is why PG tips actually taste bloody awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. I don't rate PG tips. I know it's one of Britain's favourite blends and all that, but it's bloody awful. I love the fact we have an American on the show. We couldn't be any more British talking about tea if we only asked Kelly. Okay. What's the weather like over there? I am so <laughs> relieved to hear this story, and I'll tell you why. Because I was getting into tea. I was learning about it. I had made friends in England, and I was like, and I was talking to them about tea. And one of my friends was like, well, yeah, I mean, PG tips. Like, if you're going to drink English tea, you drink PG tips. And I'm like, really? So I found the little English store, the little, like, English uh uh, grocery store here and do you mean a supermarket called tesco which is probably tiny compared to an american walmart no we don't have tesco and i don't shop at walmart it was just this little store that sells like loads of things from cadbury and um proper tim tams and uh, some other stuff and because guess what aisle i hang out in it's the candy aisle and <laughs> so i went and i got pg tips and I bought this little box of this for like far more than I probably should have paid. And I brought it home and I boiled my water in my little in my little water boiler, my Japanese little water boiler. And I dropped in my my PG tips and I waited and I was like, OK, like PG tips. Here we go. Right. And I'm like, this tastes like Lipton. <laughs> it's awful. Like, I'm not it's... there's no I'm not finding anything special in this. It's I, not. It's what's, dreadful. What's wrong with me that I can't you, tell what's so great about this? And there's nothing great nothing. about PG tip. Nothing. If you want to, if you wish to sample uh, a sort of typical British builder's tea, yes. then I su- I suggest that you get either Tetley or oh, okay. Yorkshire. Tetley with the Tetley oh, tea folk. You- or Yorkshire from, uh, you know, from Harrogate. Those are okay. sort of typical British blended so, everyday tea. PG so Tetley... Tips was a marketing scam from the 19th yes. century. <laughs> <laughs> so Tetley is, is one that I know. So we have, like, I know it's American, and I don't know how that ranks there, but there are um, two massive tea companies that started right here in not just in the United States but in Portland where I live in Oregon 
And the first is stash tea. And so actually there are three, I guess, if I want to get down to it. So uh, there's stash tea and stash tea uh, was a um the company that was started by a guy and i'm gonna make sure that i have actually the right information here so give me one second um so there's this guy who lived in portland and his name is stephen smith and stephen smith started out as um a guy who basically was like super into tea. He really dug it. He thought it was great. So he was a guy that was super into tea and he started a tea company and he started it out as uh, he started out like blending tea and then founded a uh, stash tea, which is a huge brand in America. And they started here. They're a very big deal. He dug them. He you know did a lot with them created all these blends and all this kind of stuff, did really great stuff. And then he sold stash tea. And then he went on to found Tazo Tea, which is another brand that a lot of people know and like, uh, again, particularly in Portland. And Tazo was bought by Starbucks. So if you go to Starbucks and get tea, you're getting Tazo Tea. And that all started by this guy. And then this guy, uh, after he sold Tazo Tea to Starbucks, went on to make his own and called it Stephen Smith Tea Maker. And you can buy that tea here in Portland. And it's this guy that was just super duper passionate about tea. And he suddenly passed away a couple of years ago. But his tea, the the tasting rooms and the tea and all of that live on. Like I have a pitcher of iced tea from Stephen Smith Tea Maker in my refrigerator right now. So I have loads of of like tea drinking under my belt and this guy is pretty great and a lot of the stuff that he made is all here so that's why like if you want to go down a tea rabbit hole we totally can because not too long ago i went to <laughs> it's almost like you could talk Taza about anything Kelly. a bunch <laughs> no that's just a thing that sort of happened and it's because for a lot of years mr kelly was not into coffee and couldn't find like he would try some occasionally and be like eh. so he never really drank coffee and he wanted like a warm drink in the morning to sort of help face the day so we bought tea and then we bought more tea and i went i want to try that and that sounds good and i found out that stephen smith tea maker had this black tea that had been aged in what used to be whiskey barrels and i bought some of that and like we just sort of ended up with this cabinet where all the tea lives because <laughs> i needed that much space i so, can uh, i can identify with that uh, not so much <laughs> now but i used to you know i used to keep a huge selection i used to have uh, you know the Darjeeling and the broken orange pico and the uh, um, lapsang like souchong and uh, yeah and all that and 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 the selection of when I say fruit teas I don't mean your uh, herbal tisarms I mean uh, it's this black china tea flavored with oh fruit. yeah so yeah um, I have some of those the black blackberry flavored tea and peach mm-hmm. flavored tea and toffee I like flavored a good tea I really like a weird peach tea. but I like it iced even better yeah I, this is probably the most British podcast we've ever done <laughs> yes <laughs> The, the Essentially irony of Apple, an American talking, talking tea. about tea. <laughs> yes. Now let's move on to chocolate. Okay. Um. <laughs> I tell you what, Mark. Why don't we get? Why don't we let Nemo have his say while we yeah, all refresh give some ourselves? <laughs> whilst we refresh our mugs with some more tea. Yes. Um, and then perhaps when we come back, we can talk about some other things that might even be vaguely Apple related. 
I'm not typically a fan or a user of a single strap cross the front diagonal messenger style carrying case or tote. I've rejected all the ones that I've had previously, but there's a new one that I highly recommend called the Photo Cross 10. P H O T O C R O S S 10, the number 10. Company is Mind Shift Gear. MindShiftGear.com. Price in the U.S. is $115. And let's have Simon look this up for pricing in your country. It's a grayish color, the one I received with orange trim. It's also available in what's called a carbon gray without the accents. So I'm going to stick with the orange ember. Nice, long, adjustable strap goes along the front of my body when I sling this thing across me. So in my case, Photocross 10 bag is on my back or on my right hip. Then when I want to take it off, I open up the big zipper, and inside I have room for several cameras, small, medium cameras and lenses, and then there's also a full-size Velcro pouch where I can keep a full-size iPad. So this is the main storage compartment. Inside there's also a little mesh compartment here. Let's pull this zipper. And inside there I can keep oh, either storage cards or chargers, small little accessories, stuff like that. And when I close that up, there's an auxiliary long zippered compartment on the front where I can keep a book, maybe a snack. So basically I've got two compartments, a large and a medium compartment. Then the rear part where it goes along my hip or my back is a comfortable mesh. Oh, hang on, I forgot the best thing. On the outside, on the outer edge, there's also elasticized pull water bottle pouch, which is really my favorite having the water bottle easy to grab. So for hiking, for photography, for lightweight trips around town, or for students, you can take the compartments out, you can reconfigure them. This is a premium bag from a premium company at a very realistic price that will last much longer than the stuff that you carry around in it. And there's a grab handle on the outside also, opposite the water bottle pouch. So you can carry it around just like a little grab bag. I would have liked more padded gripper rather than just a single strap for the grab handle, but I can live with that because that's its secondary use and also for the grab handle on the very top. Two different grab handles. I prefer my grab handles to be much more cushy and squishy if I have to carry it in an airport for a long period of time. But aside from those two minor quibbles, this is definitely going to be a keeper, and I'm going to start using it this week when I go to class. Whether I take my camera or not, I can certainly take my iPad, water, notes, notebook, books, and stuff like that. Then when I want to do photography, just reconfigure those pouches, and boom, I'm back in business. Well done, Mind Shift Gear, with the Photocross 10. Here's a sneak peek of what we're probably going to be looking at next week in Nemo's hardware store. The company is On and Off, O-N-A-N-O-F-F, onandoff.com, and the product is called the Sound Cover. comes in different colors. It's an iPad Air cover, not a case, and you snap your Air in here face in, sort of like a smart cover, and then it has a built-in speaker and battery. So we'll have the links for both of these and more information on the on and off gold cover next week. Thank you, John, for another Nemo's Hardware Store. And this is, of course, the place where we give everybody the obligatory Amazon affiliate link spiel. You know how it goes. 
follow the Amazon affiliate link, do your shopping, and whatever you buy, we get a very small cut. And we use that small pot of money to invest in the show in equipment or paying for hosting and the like. Right, guys, my Bluetooth has died, so I'm going to have to swap headphones. <laughs> oh no! Kelly has broken Simon's Bluetooth headphones. I broke. I I ran them dead. <laughs> I feel like I should maybe be proud of that, but maybe I should be embarrassed. I'm not sure which way that should go. How many coffees have you had this morning? Just the one. Oh Jesus! <laughs> well, I'll have no fury like a Kelly on a sugar rush. Stop talking to me about stuff I'm really excited about. Like, I yeah, stop talking. Yeah, but the- that's the whole point of a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> well, I can be excited. About- I-, I grew up with Star Wars. That was like one of the things that I have loved unconditionally my entire life. And there are well, that's apart- a very, very short list. Yeah, well, apart from episodes one, two, and three. I mean, those are just sort of like... There are three movies. Yes. Well, and Before notice Disney what... Bought them. Do Before you not... Disney bought them, there were three movies. La, 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 la. But do you not class, um, oh, what was the last new one called? Rogue One. No, the one before that. Uh, one where they had, an... that's the one, the another Death Star. See, it's a little retready, but I get what they were doing because it, they kind of yeah. had to give a little fan service. But at the same time, it's the same thing James J.J. Abrams did with Star Trek, which I didn't like, which is, again, just like Alien, you've, you've set up this vast universe and you've got all these timelines and all this different stuff that you can do. And I get J.J. Abrams, you're a big, big nerd, but I didn't need to see Wrath of Khan again. I really no, didn't. No. And, and, and like, if I-, I were Benedict Cumberbatch, I would have said no. Like somebody played this part already twice. <laughs> And it, it was it didn't need to be redone. There was no better story you could have told, no. and especially what with the acting. It just it's like when someone redoes um, Guns N' Roses, Paradise City. It will never ever be as good, no. and yet they keep Ever. trying and hack it to death. And it's and it's sad because like think what you could have done with Benedict Cumberbatch as the bad guy in a Star Trek movie. Yeah. And that's really what it is for me is just the potential that they had there to create. He could have created his own Kanunian thing. He could have. And he could have been this amazing, iconic bad guy from the dark recesses of a casual mention in the original series. And we took that name and we made it manifest and we turned it into Benedict Cumberbatch, who was just this villain with lethal accuracy. And somebody that you absolutely should not be messing with. And Kurt goes rip snorting in anyway. That's a Star Trek movie. That's absolutely a Star Trek movie. But you didn't need to do it with Khan again. Khan came from the original series and then they brought him into the films. And not everything that they did in the movies is stuff that they did on the show. And they didn't need to do it for me a second time. Like, I already know the story of Khan. I don't need it again. Give me a new story, J.J. Abrams. I know you are capable. I've seen you do it before. Like, don't give me that movie again. Especially that movie. That's well, that's what we all seem to get, though, isn't it? I mean, you you must be sick to death like I am there when you see a movie trailer and it's basically the whole movie. Yeah, I don't like that at all. And in fact, I only see trailers now if it's the trailer before the film because the longer stuff they release online and the longer stuff they put out is like tv commercials you know when they buy like the entire commercial break and show you like a three-minute trailer for a movie i avoid all that stuff now and i avoid it harder for stuff that i love so i'm act like i've been on sort of star wars movie news blackout for years now because i don't want to know i don't want to see it 
if I see like a teaser, I will watch because a teaser can't doesn't have enough time to get into anything. It's 15 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. You can't give me the whole movie in that time. So that I will watch. But otherwise, like I'm out. I don't want to know any other stuff. I don't want any extra stuff. I don't need to see shots of costumes. I don't want any of that. Because part of what I loved about them as a kid was going in a theater and sitting down and not having any idea what was going to happen, just that it was the, a continuation of the story that I already knew. That's one of the things I love so much about Empire and Jedi, because as a kid, I remember going and seeing them and not having a clue what was going to happen and being super excited about it. And, you know, that's one thing I thought the Internet really got right when Force Awakens came out was everybody was quiet about it for that, like, opening weekend. And I didn't get to see it on Thursday night when it premiered. I was in, I was traveling. So I was I ended up in California. So I was in L.A. And so I actually got to go see The Force Awakens at the theater where they held the premiere, the El Capitan Theater in Los Angeles. So I went there and I got to see it there. And it was amazing. And it was super fun. And I didn't know anything about it. And so I got to go and I wore my Darth Vader vans and sit in line <laughs> to go see that movie and it was terribly exciting and like that's what one of the things that I have always really liked about movies and because we're an Apple podcast it's a thing I used to like about Apple events before everybody started rumor mongering everything to death so that by the time the actual event got here I'm like fine can you just tell me what it is so people can speculate about something else oh my god yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we try and avoid a lot of that, don't we, on here, Mark? But more than once lately, I'm already seeing people rumouring what will be in the iPhone 9. It's like, yeah, really? We haven't even (laughs) done the 8 yet. Or whatever it's going to be. It's just, no, please, take them away. Take (laughs) them away. Well, this brings us nicely on to something that Kelly might be able to talk something passionately about. I don't know, it might be a bit of a stretch. Um, you're sort of known as the, the bastion for App Camp for Girls. Now, so as someone who hears about it but doesn't know anything about it, what is the most simplest way you could describe App Camp for Girls? So what we do is it's sort of like summer camp. Um, we do a week and a week of camp, uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. And at the end of the week, a team has built a functional application on iOS. So is there any sort of prerequisites? Do you have to be good at math? Do you have to know coding? Do you have to know things like variables and loops before you go in? Or can you just say, you know what, this seems cool. I want to have a go. The prerequisite is that you are uh, female or female identified um, and the right age going into grade eight or grade nine. Uh, Those are our prerequisites that's it you don't have to have any previous experience uh if you do that's great if you don't uh you will do just fine and uh what the way that it started was uh as i'm sure you know an event that you guys i'm I'm certain have talked about more than once on your show is the worldwide developers conference yeah so our founder june mcdonald was at the worldwide developer conference one year and in the um not the keynote that that Tim gives now, but the one afterwards that's like for developers, that's like the secret stuff. Um, she was in that. And she was sitting in a room that holds like 5,000 people because everybody was there. And she realized she couldn't see another woman from where she was sitting. And it sort of struck her 
as like I would have to stand up or I would have to turn around and take a good look behind me. But I can't see another woman where I am. And that's not cool. And what can I do about that? So she kept turning it over in her mind and, and thinking about what she could do. And being a Portlander, because this is what we do in Portland, she decided to build a thing to make it better. And so uh, there's a model here that it already exists for a, a week-long camp where you have something at the end. And it's called uh, Rock and Roll Camp. So you can walk into Rock and Roll Camp completely cold. Like, I've never played an instrument. I've never sang a song, you know, whatever. And by the, end of the, by the end of the week, you have written a song and you perform it live at a concert at the end of the week uh, for everybody else. And so there's like a show at the end. And, and so by the end of the week, you have created and performed a song from zero, regardless of what your starting point was. Yeah. And so we took that model and we have a template that we give our developers uh, in an iOS and they use MacBook Pros. They use the latest shipping version of Xcode. And we have iPod Touches. And so at the end of the day, they can load the latest iteration of that app onto their iPods and take it home overnight and show off what they did during the day. Uh, the first day, they go home with a minimum of one functioning app, and that's a calculator. They build a calculator from zero. And at the end of the week, instead of performing a song, like we sort of have to show it off. So one of the other things that they do is they put together a, a slide deck and they pitch their app to a panel of investors. And nobody wins or loses. There's no like cash involved or anything. But they get used to, here's our app. Here's what it does. Here, when we put, if we were to list this in the app store, here's what it would cost. Here would be our marketing plan. And then they answer a few questions from our panel. We have a panel of uh, women who uh, are business owners or investors or uh, you know, different people who have founded different kinds of companies. We always find really interesting people. Uh, to go be on the panel. And they ask them questions like, if you had one more day, what would you add to your app? Or what would the next version of your app include? Or where did you get the idea for the app that you that you created? And we expose them to a bunch of different pieces of computer science, in essence. Um, because not everything is hunching over your laptop and typing mystery stuff into Xcode and then swearing at it. Like, <laughs> that's a lot of development. <laughs> yeah. but that's not all of it. So... Uh, we have someone who comes in and speaks about user interface and user experience and what makes for a good user experience and what makes for a bad user experience and how to tell what works and doesn't work and what makes a good icon for an app. You know, how does that work? Uh, we always take them on a field trip to a software company in some respect, in whatever location we're in. Um, we have a field trip somewhere and we have somebody that comes in and talks about, you know, UX and UI. And uh, so one of the places that we take them here in Portland is Panic Software, who makes Transmit. And uh, they're the group behind Firewatch and Coda. And so we get to go there and they get a tour of the office, a functioning, a functioning Mac software, iOS software company. And their office is awesome. They have a blog post up with pictures of their office in it. Um, if you haven't seen the Panic Office, uh, one of the things I love about it is a tiny bit subversive. We're sort of warping them against sitting in a cube farm forever because I yeah. really hope that like something like Panic, which has an amazing office, makes a good impression on them. And they're like, why would I work in a cubicle? That's awful. I could work at a place like this instead. That's my hope. Um, but we show them a lot of different things that go into an app. And not everybody, I think, particularly if you are... Um, a girl going into eighth grade or ninth grade, I don't know how much awareness a lot of anybody at that age actually has about all the other stuff that goes into it. So 
one thing I say a lot is that every year uh, we have we we break everybody up into teams of four, three or four, depending on on how many people we have. And there's always somebody who looks at Xcode, like when we first open it up Monday and crack open Xcode and show them, you know, a template. Um, there's somebody who looks at that and says, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then there's somebody who realizes that because there's a bug built into the template that we give them in order to build their app on. And uh, if you turn, if you load it to your iPod and you turn the iPod sideways, it will crash. And then they have to find that and then figure out why and what made that happen and what can we do to fix it. So we introduce them to bug testing. Like sometimes when you build your code, you get something in it that does what it's not supposed to do. Or somebody tries to do something that they're not supposed to do. And how do you how do you come back from that? And there's somebody that goes, breaking stuff is the best thing. <laughs> and then there's some, like going in and finding the nooks and the crannies. And what if I push the same button every time? Or what if I push... All, all different buttons and what if I try to go back in the middle of the quiz and what happens and and there's somebody who sort of is trying to anticipate all the stuff that somebody could try to do that maybe they shouldn't do and like how does that affect the app itself and then uh, there's UX and UI and like uh, generating artwork and somebody real putting together for themselves for the first time that all of the artwork that goes into that, whether it's the icon or the logo on the screen or the background image, somebody has to draw all of that, create all of that in some way. That seems amazing. And then there's somebody that that is like raring to get up on stage and be the person who walks through the slide deck and says, this is what our app does and this is how it's awesome and this is what makes us different from everybody else. And that person is also valuable in software. And so just sort of exposing everybody to all the different pieces of what can go into an application. And sometimes that person is just you. Like there's lots of indie developers who do all of this for themselves and that's fine. And there are people who work at larger companies where, you know, um, I know, I think it was Vancouver got to go to Electronic Arts as their field trip. And so like there's somebody there whose entire job in games is just the lighting in the app and in, you know, in the, in the, the scene that you're in, in the level that you're in, you know, when you walk into that building, the light has to be different from outside and here's what it looks like without lighting. And here's what it looks like with lighting and lighting. That is my job. So we get the opportunity to expose them to a lot of different stuff that they may not have realized was an entire job on its own. And not everybody's going to go on to be a computer scientist, but some people may have may get some tools from App Camp that they can take forward with them. And then at the end of the summer, we take all the apps and we bundle them all together and put them into a compendium and put that in the App Store and you can buy it for a dollar. One of our initial year campers, like when she walked into school the next year, she tried she went to the computer club like after school and she was the only girl and one of the people there asked if she was in the right place and if she knew where she was and she said i'm here to be part of the computer club i have an app published in the itunes app store and shut them down immediately (laughs) so that's awesome like i feel like we, we gave her that but then also she went on and she has built her own summer camp, which is a cybersecurity camp. And she's like interned at companies in security and looking at what you can do to protect data online. And so, and that's like big brain stuff. Like that's so advanced. And like you have to be the right kind of person in order to do that. And I feel like we helped her get there because we gave her the confidence in herself and the faith in herself and that publishing in the app store to walk into the computer club with and be part of the computer club and advance far enough along there to realize that computer camp is the thing that she wanted to do. 
and and or security camp and is now this this was her second summer of security camp and i love that that's a thing that happened because i fe- i and i asked her um if if part of that was from app camp and she said absolutely do this other stuff and i've got i've got to admit it does sound uh it really does sound amazing that the fact that you did i mean if you had any I mean, what's been what would you say has been your most standout sort of moment from all the years of doing app camps and I, I don't want to use the horrible term of everyone's a winner if they turn up but it certainly sort of sounds <laughs> like that horrible horrible cliche but is there any sort of well, other stories that sort of you know really stick in your head well it's super rewarding to get to see um because there's always someone depending on the year there there's sometimes even more than one and it's this happens at every camp where someone shows up because my mom is a computer scientist and wants me to do it so i'm just here because my mom made me or because my dad works at intel so my dad made me you know and and they're super not into it. And then they find that thing during app camp that they're super into that they can that they can run with, you know, during the week. And and so f- getting people who are really disengaged at the beginning and finding out that they're super engaged at the end. And they're the ones that come up that are like, I had such a great time. This was so much fun. I'm really glad. And we also have um, an intern program. So if you already came to camp one year, then the following year, you could come back as an intern. So you're not doing the day-to-day development that the campers are doing, but you're there to help them as a resource because you worked on it last year and you know how all this stuff fits together. You can um, answer questions for them or help them along the way. Or, uh, you know, we've had like sort of project manager interns who take a whiteboard and write down every day, like, here's all the stuff we have to get done today. Here's what it is. And so we have an intern program and we have people who, you know, who came in the first day who were like super checked out, don't have any interest, really are just here to like, so mom isn't yelling at them the entire week that they should have been here instead. (laughs) And at the end of the week, like they're the ones, they're like the first people in line to come up to one of the volunteers and say, I need to know how to sign up for the intern program for next year and like finding those moments. And um, like this last year um, at the end of camp, we had a bunch of people and, you know, it was because we allow everybody to come to the pitch session at the end where they present their app to the investors. So like everybody's parents can come and see all the different apps. Here's what we worked on. Here's how it works. Here's what it looks like. You know, we have some screenshots and gets to see the entire presentation section, you know, on Friday. So, so parents can show up and see like what everybody did or, you know, family and friends. And one of the campers dads came up to me at the end when everybody was sort of, you know, getting all their stuff and saying goodbye and checking out and walked right up to me and said, Hey, I wanted to let you know, I saw you talking about app camp for girls three years ago with Andy and Notco on Mac break weekly. And I waited three years for my daughter to be old enough to get to come. And she had the best time. Uh, I don't think we can go. And- <laughs> I, I, don't, there's even, I don't think there's anything more you can say. Yeah. There's and, not there's not more you can say than that, is there? That just that is for amazing. me was like the best moment because it was a that was super exciting because it was very cause and effect. I don't ever hear from people, you know, hey, um, I heard you on this podcast and now I want to set this up in my city, or I heard you on this podcast and I'm gonna go volunteer because I live in Chicago and we have app camp in Chicago now and I'm gonna go be part of it. Like I don't ever get like a definite thing. So sometimes it feels very much as though I'm sort of shouting into the void, like app camp is awesome and you should know. 
Um, we have a lot of community. We have a lot of people who give us uh, feedback and volunteer time and spread the word and, you know, people who donate because we're a nonprofit, people who donate, people who do all of that. And I love all of those people and I super appreciate them. But this was like the first time I've had like a concrete feedback sort of moment. Um when it relates directly to app camp, I've had other people who like I've spoken at a conference and someone comes up and they're wearing like the Kickstarter app camp t-shirt, you know, or something. And, and those are like super fun moments for me because what I love is finding out that there are other people who have seen the problem that we have seen and are helping us take action to help get more women into computer science. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily need to be Swift and Xcode and MacBook pros and, um, you know, I know a couple of people who personally had Android phones who have done Android development. And we had one girl who um, her aunt, I think it was like worked at Microsoft. And so she wanted to go work at Microsoft with her aunt on accessibility stuff and like make that happen. And I'm like, if if you coming to our camp for a week motivates you and gives you faith in yourself to feel like that's a dream that you can pursue, I am 100 percent for it because that's all we want to do is help expose our developers to the idea that there's more to it and that there may be another way that this is a thing that they could pursue. And we do that with eighth and ninth graders because that's before high school has beat it out of them. Yeah. That this isn't yeah, for you. Totally. And, you know, sitting in computer class when I was in high school, you know, I sat in a computer class and I was the only girl and watching all of the high school boys jockey to be the alpha dog like I knew I was never going to get in on that you know so I didn't get to do as much in computer class like as I had hoped I was going to get to do so I kind of went off on my own and learned stuff by myself and and you know kind of it was almost like study hall but I got to use the computer you know <laughs> like at that point <laughs> And so I sat down with the computer myself and sort of ignored whatever kind of conversation they were trying to have and just did my own thing. And like I had at least the flexibility to do that, partly because I think the the teacher who was doing the computer class like sort of didn't know what to do with me because I, like I said, I was the only girl. And he knew better than to give me a bunch of grief because my mom's a teacher as well. My mom's a grade <laughs> school teacher, but was it, and I don't think he'd be brave enough either. Well, and she would have stood up to him and and said, you know, you're not gonna like you're not gonna kick my daughter out of class. This is a class she wants to take. I know she's smart enough to do it. You should, you know. So he knew. Like I think I sort of had an advantage in that. Like he didn't know what to do with me, so he sort of left me alone. And as long as I wasn't disrupting anything, it was fine. So I sort of had that advantage, but not everybody does. And I, I don't want anybody ever to have to feel like I felt in that class in high school. I don't want that to ever be a thing that has to happen to somebody else. Well, so for me, that's what made me part of, of App Camp is like, I want to make sure that this isn't a thing that anybody else ever has to do. I want to do everything in my power to minimize this for everyone that I can reach. And this is a way that I can reach them. Well, I don't think there could be any shadow of a doubt that, <laughs> of, of, of your passion for it. And it's, and it's really nice to sort of hear someone who can, you know, take you know, girls on board and say, you know, things don't have to be like this. You don't have to sit in a cubicle if you want to go out there and try you know, this is the opportunity and you might try it and so it's not for you, but at least there's that been the opportunity. Um, I, I really don't, there is, a, there is some Apple news, but I think after that to sort of just jump into Apple news would be a, a sort of injustice um, <laughs> to what you've just talked about for our pan camp for girls. So unless there's any story, Simon, that you want to uh, go for, I think we can, uh, we can start wrapping up and get to the pub. <laughs> Well, we should ask a guest, Kelly. Have there been any Apple news, um, Apple news <laughs> stories this week that sort of 
caught your analytical eye? Uh You know, there's so much speculation right now about what's coming that it seems like if there is any actual news, it's getting lost in in all of the what's it going to look like? What's it going to cost? When are we going to find out about it? When are we going to get them? So I haven't seen a whole heck of a lot that's really caught my eye. One of the things that that I've been sort of doing, I haven't written it up or anything uh, anywhere, but one of the things that I've been doing is sort of assessing who in my family, because like I told you earlier, um, I'm tech support for my family. And so I try to make sure that everybody's as reasonably current as they can be. So I have relatives who have uh, like an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 5C and uh, talking to them now about there's going to come a point when the new OS is going to come out. And when the new OS comes out, you can't have it because your phone is too old. But I like my phone. I know we need to find out like, but you need to find out what it's going to take for you to upgrade. And I will help you do it, but it it won't be free. You know, it won't be, it may not even be cheap. And you need to figure out like what you think is going to be the right path for you. And once Apple comes out and tells us what the new ones are, and we find out what the pricing is going to look like on the new ones, you know, I'll help you decide what you want to do. But once the new OS comes out, people are going to start making their apps iOS 11 only. And then you're going to end up with security problems. And you're going to end up with apps that don't work or apps that you can't update because they're only on iOS 11 and you're not. And we need to figure out how you're going to move to the new system. And if that's a new phone, if that's, you know, you buy somebody else's old phone because there are people in my family who upgrade every year. Like if you need to get somebody else's old phone and like move to that just so that you're upgraded, like that works too. But we need to figure out how we're going to make this happen. And so I've started that conversation already with the, with people in my family who have that issue primarily so that it's not like, guess what? The new OS is out and you can't have it. And it's going to be a $600 solution for you to fix, you know, or more. And so that's a thing that I've been doing. And that's not necessarily Apple news as much as it is sort of a PSA, especially because this week we started getting uh, news, I think, about like when the Apple event is actually supposed to be. So that's the thing that I've been doing. I would recommend doing that for for people who are that person. And part of the reason that I'm so anxious about it this time around, like I've not cared at points in the past and just explained to people, yeah, you can't have the new version of the OS. But now you can do screen sharing over FaceTime in iOS mm-hmm. 11. And oh, as yes. support, I need this to be something everybody in my family has. I need this to be available to me because I've literally done the let me FaceTime you from the one so that I can show you the other one because it's doing this thing that I can't explain to you. Yeah. You need to see it. I've been there, been there with you many, many times. And Simon, so been there, done that. There. That is the is is the reason I need everybody to be on iOS 11. Like security is important, keeping current with apps is important, but this is the thing that I really need, and I need to make sure that it's a thing that I can do. And so that's part of why I'm trying to get people upgraded to a newer to make sure they're on a phone that will do it for them. Simon, uh, any particular Apple story that you want to round off the show with before we uh, start mm, packing up? Yes, this is. Uh... Well, there's loads in there, actually. But let's just go with uh, AccuWeather caught with their hands in the cookie jar regarding users' location data. Have we all seen this one? I know Kelly's mentioned it before the show. And the long and the short of it is that AccuWeather have been sending users' location data to a monetization service. And in in a kind of weaselly worded way, if you turn off 
share my location data. It no longer shares your GPS coordinates. It just sends them all your Wi-Fi data, (laughs) which is just as bad. Mm -hmm. And they had a sort of very, well, I can only describe it as snivelly kind of response of we didn't know it was happening and it wasn't us and oh we're so sorry and the only way I can feel about that is very much like John Gruber is how the hell did you not know and you're not really coughing are you you're just trying to say well it's not really that important yes it bloody is you were lying to your users you were lying to your users you are stealing their location data and selling it to a company who then sell it to advertising companies and it's i mean scott scott and i discussed this and scott said you know the temptation for so many people must be so strong to to harvest data and sell it off but it's just disgraceful. And AccuWeather, the truth is, they knew damn well and they were getting away with it. And now they've been caught and they've tried to weasel out of it. And now they've said, we won't do it anymore. But to, to my mind, that's not good enough. Mm-mm. It really isn't. It's just disgraceful. Well, and not only is it shady, but it's shady twice. This is the reason that I'm, I'm, that I personally am super aggravated about it is because it's not like AccuWeather was aggregating everyone's location data and doing something with it like everyone in port like we have way 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 more users in portland than anybody else so we have advertising money we're going to put up a billboard in portland that gives people who are already using accuweather some sort of spiff and we're going to do that in portland because that's effective advertising because lots of people in portland already have it like i could see if maybe they were doing something with it like internally like i would be mad about it being not okay but I'm super angry about it because they were selling that data to a company to do something presumably untoward with it. Because, like, who uses location data to my advantage? No, no. That's not how using location data, like, ever works, right? Of course, so, the other, the other yeah. shady part of it is, of course, that if you're using a weather app and it says, would you be happy sharing your, you know, letting us have your location data? Well, of course you are, because a weather data, a weather app that doesn't know where you are mm-hmm. is, is just a weather forecast. Right. It's no use to anybody. Exactly. But not only were they effectively selling it on without telling anybody, but they were then continuing to do it in a weasley way by not sending your GPS data when you right. said... I don't want to do it. And that's why it's shady twice. Because first we're selling it, and then second of all, even if you told us not to do it, we're still kind of doing it in order to continue to have data to sell. Yeah, and in many ways, worsely, because they're sending your your SSID information, your router information, the MAC addresses of the the networks you connect to. And I would okay in the first place. Yeah, I mean, that's worse than your GPS data. Your GPS data just says he was here and then he was there and then he went there. This tells them all sorts of things far, far worse. So there's a second, like, I don't know that shady is necessarily the word in this case, but it's another one where somebody was doing something that they they said they wouldn't do, and that's uh, crash plan. Because crash plan has been telling people, uh, telling, like, press people. Um, Joe Kissel is the guy that wrote the article that really nailed this for me over at Tidbits. And he talked about how, because Crash Plan, all of their home user, they're done with home users is what they've done. They, they're, they're moving to small business and large business, and they're going to do that instead of home user. And 
Crash Plan had some cool features. Crash Plan had so Crash Plan is a cloud backup service, and one of the things that they would allow you to do is um, I could put a backup drive for myself. Like I could put that on a network at someone else's house. So like I could go over to my in-laws. They live about 20 minutes away from me. I could go to my in-laws and I could plug in a hard drive and hang it on their network and set it up with crash plan. And then one of my backup locations would be that hard drive. So I have an offsite backup seamlessly. It's just the little thing that runs in the back, sort of like time machine. It just runs on your computer in the background. And one place that it would back up would be that hard drive. And then like if something does happen to my computer, I'm 20 minutes away from my offsite backup. And I know it's current because crash plan has been running in the background all the time. And they always swore like we are doing stuff uh, for the home user. We love the home user. We're not going to neglect the home user. And now they have axed the home user. And I understand that sometimes there are decisions that end up being made that, you know, nobody had information about before and things like that. But I feel like this is is too big of a thing that they're doing that they couldn't have telegraphed this a tiny bit because a lot of people who are using crash plan personally and have recommended it to other people are never going to recommend the small business model because what if they kill that without warning too? You yeah. know, it's the same thing. And a lot as of- I understand it, that the small business plan is you know, like four times the price. Yeah. And if you're a person with a computer, that's that's not a, that's not a, a tenable solution for you. No. And I know they're offering, I think, a 75% discount for the first year, but that's, that's not really doing any good, is it? That's right. just fobbing off the ine- inevitable. Yes. No, that's just sort of, we'll give you a discount so you stay, then hopefully by the end of the year, you'll forget about us and you've got, yes. you've got a subscription and it will automatically renew. Thank you very much. Yes, it's the gym membership. And now membership you're paying four times as much. Plans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're just going to hope you forgot about it and that it won't be enough money that you, you screech about it when it comes up for renewal. And they had great features like the stuff that I'm telling you about, you know, these, these, you know, you can have a hard drive somewhere else and and you could seed your backup. Like if you made a copy of your hard drive, you could ship it off to them and then they would like your backup would be instantly available to you instead of having to upload everything. And like they had some great stuff and that stuff is gone. And what, what I'm disappointed in is that nobody else figured out a way to do any of this because that would have been great. Um, but also that they, they never gave any indication, like maybe stop selling the, the home user or up the price on the home user. So it's less attractive. So they end up having less home users, you know, if they're going to move everybody to small business yeah, anyway, they, because like they Mac run the business model until they knew they were going to finish it. And it's, it's not, in, yeah. I think you're right. It's like, it's not like it was an overnight decision to go, you know what, wake up in the morning, I'm going to stop doing this. It's yeah. like, no, it, this, this is obviously something that would have been thought about and deliberated about. And the fact that now if you relied on them, you either pay the money or you go through the whole process of moving over to Backblaze. Yeah. And I, I don't know, have they given a way to say, do a one-time massive big download of your backup, then you can upload it somewhere else? Or is it pay up or you're just going to lose it all anyway? And, you know, I'm not sure what the transition looks like, but like one of the things that we talked about when we talked about this on uh, Mac Observer Daily Observations, one of the things that we talked about was um, moving to another plan and how they've given everybody until October of 2018 to do this. And I'm like, yeah, don't put this off because you're like, oh, I have I have, you know, 16 months to do this or whatever. No, no. You have like four because you need to make sure that you have a backup like make sure that you have a legitimate backup at crash plan while you still can then you need to go find a new solution 
then you need to get set up with that solution. And then you need to restore from that solution to make sure that that solution is a good backup solution for you. And that all takes time. It takes time to, you know, especially if you're going to move to Backblaze or Carbonite or Dolly Drive, if you're going to move to one of those services, you have to upload everything to that service. And that takes time. And then you have to find out if restoring a backup from that service, what that process is like, how that works, how long it takes. And that takes time. It and takes a long time because right. gigabit, I had, to, I had uh, a problem when I first installed the High Sierra beta on my laptop. So I decided that I would wipe the laptop and clone back from my uh, bootable clone drive, mm -hmm. which I did. Now, that was about 500 gig of data mm -hmm. across USB, and that took 10 hours. Yeah. So and that was local. if you're doing, and that's local, <laughs> all right. It was on a, it's a USB drive, and it's not the quickest drive in the in the land, I admit. But if you've got to do that, you're trying to pull down 750 gig terabyte, whatever, mm -hmm. down your down your broadband connection. That could take days. It will take days. I mean, and that's so, before you even get to like uh, certain parts of the United States where there's a data cap. Exactly. You know, so if you've watched Netflix and then all of a sudden your hard drive crashes, you're out of luck. You know, you're going to get throttled or you're going to get charged, you know, a ridiculous amount of money. Um, there's there's so much that goes into that. And you have to be able to have a clear idea of what how that works and what that looks like for you when you do it. You know, how how does that work? How does that make how is that going to make your life better? And how is it going to complicate your life? Because are you going to be without that computer for the entire time that that backup is restoring? And if so, what are you going to do in the meantime? Like, are we talking about, well, yeah, but are we talking about like, you know, I live on my iMac and my laptop I occasionally take for travel. So if my, if my laptop is out for a few days, that's okay. If my iMac is out for a few days, I can still use my laptop to do most of what I need to do. Or are you a person who has one computer and if that computer is out, you're stuck? Like these are things that people have to think about when you're talking about, particularly when you're talking about restoring from an online backup. Oh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, the worst thing about online backup is just the amount of upload time. But in a way, we don't want to be like the cynical person. You know, we've been here before where the, uh, there was a, a company, who was it called, a couple of years ago, and they were offering free unlimited photo backups. And then they just went boom. They just oh. went, nope, sorry. Are you, you know who I mean? Um, yeah. So it's it's almost like you know the only way to have a good backup is to have your own backup and then have a backup of the backup that you're in control of, because yeah. the second that it leaves your house, you're at the mercy of any other business or organisation. And oh, are we making enough profit on this? Are we not? Is this a business you want to be in? Yes, no. And you're you're almost just sort of shifting the liability from your house being hit by a bolt of lightning that's going to kill your data to a bean counter going you know what this isn't working we need to change it now mm -hmm. i think blimey if that isn't a tie where i can say right then i think we've got a show it, it never will be <laughs> uh blimey yeah i need food uh i've got to get ready for the boxing so kelly <laughs> Uh, Are you still glad you invited me on? <laughs> how can people get a hold of you if they so wish? <laughs> okay. So it's like that. Um, <laughs> oh, it took me a while. Now you know what it's like to take three years to get a response. Hey. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Verso. And uh, you can find me occasionally on 
the daily ob- the Mac Observer Daily Observations podcast over at MacObserver.com. When I have opinions that I'm able to put down into coherent paragraphs, you can find those over at MacObserver.com as well. You can occasionally uh, find me on the Material podcast with Andy Anatko, which is primarily an Android podcast, but we talk about a lot of technology and uh, how it works and what makes it interesting for people. And uh, I have a lot of fun every time they invite me over there. So I'm on there once in a while. That does surprise me. You can also find me on my own podcasts. Uh, I do one called The After Show with Mike Rose. uh, He and I used to do a show over at the unofficial Apple weblog together. You can find us at aftershowpodcast.com. And you can occasionally hear me on The Incomparable Network, uh, where I do a show with Don Melton. And (laughs) Don Melton and I do a show called Greetings from the Uncanny Valley, which is a show about Westworld. Kelly, it's been an experience. It's everything <laughs> I've waited over three years to wait for. Um, I, th- th- thank I'm you. so sorry. I feel badly that I did it, that, that this didn't happen any sooner. But it doesn't <laughs> have to be, if you decide you want to have me back, it doesn't have to take three years to do it again. <laughs> awesome. Simon, <laughs> if they want to get a hold of you, good sir, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, of course, you can find me on the Twitter and I'm at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's via essentialapple.com. We've got the Facebook group. We've got the Google Plus. Um, I'm on the Twitter at Ocean Speed. And if you want to follow the fire hydrant of noise from the Essential Apple website, the Twitter for that one is at Essential Apple. Kelly, once again, thank you for coming on. And again, thanks to you again, Simon. All right, mate. We have a Patreon page for anybody who likes us really, really a lot and wants to give us a bit of pocket change. A huge thank you to the patrons who already support us that way. And I think that's us done. We are part of the MyMac.com podcasting network, where you can find such excellent shows as Guy and Gaz on the MyMac show, Tim and David on the Tech Fan show, The Three Geeky Ladies, The Geekiest Show Ever, uh, the excellent Bart Bouchotts with his Let's Talk, the Club Nintendo, and many, many more. I don't know who you are, but I will find you. And when I do... You had better be listening to the Tech Fan Podcast, because if you're not, well, you may not live long enough to regret it. Remember, it's called the Tech Fan Podcast. Listen, and you won't regret it. Ha 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 